Are you hungry for more? You know what life has to offer. You sense it is radiating magic, but perhaps you feel like you're just not fully nourished by all there is to embody. Welp, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Here and now. Just what the doctor ordered. Welcome to the conversation, Well and Why, where we feast on fuel for the soul. These topics are designed to ignite that fire and maximize our human potential. Together, we can heal the system. Alone, we can heal our bloodline. Bon appetit! Welcome back to Well and Why, a spiritually nutritious production. I am your host, Allie, and I am so grateful that you are back or new, whichever you are. I'm just grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And I, you have no idea what that means to me, that I have a little over an hour, maybe more so an hour and a half of your time, whether it's for a whole sitting or you come you stop and come back. That works too. I do that all the time. Um, so basically, Carrie replaced my old yoga teacher who was going to school full time and could no longer teach that time frame at f- 5.30 on Fridays. And I was really sad he, was, he wasn't able to teach that class anymore. I thought, there's no way in hell this next teacher is going to fill the void. And <laughs> Carrie comes in and with her energy, her, her humor, and her music, she, what is that called? It's like a turkey in bowling, you know? Energy, humor, and music all on point. There was just no way. So her music is the bomb. Her energy is so great. She's so real. And she brings really awesome topics to class, which is what I think personally, that yoga is missing is conversations. Not that we sit there and we have conversations, but she starts off the class by telling us something that she's learned recently, whether it's from a podcast or her own experiences or even just life as a mom. And she's just so honest and trustworthy. I don't know. You just trust that class is going to be healing because she's holding a space of bringing your energy and doing the damn best that you can. So I really appreciate that. Also, I believe I briefly went over this story in a previous episode, but basically Carrie saved my life. (laughs) She comes into yoga and she says, oh, is that the Amazon coat? I almost got it, but I couldn't. Not because I'm a vegan, because I'm not, but I'm allergic to feathers. And I said, yeah, I'm allergic to feathers too. (laughs) I guess I'm not coming down with strap. So thanks. (laughs) She basically, um, what's the word? Diagnosed me as you are allergic to the coat on your back at this very moment. And um, I was really grateful for that. So thank you, Carrie. (laughs) Um, She brings amazing wisdom and stories and humor and just joy to this podcast episode of Well and Why and I really am looking forward to sharing this with you, so I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Carrie, for joining me on Well and Why. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to start off asking some, well, we're just going to be in an organic conversation, and I'm going to throw in some questions here and there. 
But first of all, congratulations on your newfound role as a mom. Thank you. And you're my new yoga teacher at New Love City, and it has been nothing but a pleasure to have your energy around the studio. Oh, I'm so glad. I've wanted to work there for a while now, and it just happened to work out when I moved, and it's, it's great. Oh, cool. That's awesome. All right, so my first question is, what is your biggest takeaway from 2018? Mm, uh, biggest, well, 2018 was like a really crazy year. Uh, <laughs> I guess my biggest takeaway is that uh, nothing that you could plan uh, goes the way that you anticipated it. So you just kind of have to roll with it and try to be your best self without... Um, anticipating uh as best you can mm. that's probably my biggest takeaway <laughs> that's a good one yeah pretty much the whole process of getting pregnant trying to get pregnant getting pregnant um birth after birth none of it at all was like what I thought it would be none of it and not that it was better or worse it just I'm a planner and I think about things a lot even when I don't talk about them and this, none of it went the way I thought, <laughs> like zero of it went the way I thought, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, or not for the worse, just the way it was. But right. uh, you just kind of have to roll with it and be your best self without uh, trying to cling too hard to what you thought or wanted it to be like. Touche. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself. What is a day in the life of Carrie? Um, let's see. Well, I have kind of two careers. One um, was the career I first started with, which is uh, in the arts. So I'm an actor and voiceover artist. And that was my primary career for almost 20 years. Um, and then uh, I always, not always, but for a large part of that time, I used yoga to help me survive that career. Um, and then I, some of what I was missing um, I found in yoga teaching. And so I sort of flip-flopped for a little while and gave more of my attention to yoga than to the arts. And now I'm sort of working on a, a 50 or 60, 40, and depends on what is 60 and what is 40, but I'm trying to work on a little bit more of a, I'm a kind of all or nothing kind of gal. So I had to go one way, then the other way. And now I'm sort of um, working on the middle a little bit. Nice. So those are my two things. My, my day in my life is mother, voiceover, yoga. Some days it's hopefully it's mother all the time, but <laughs> the voiceover yoga, it's peppered in different days differently. That sounds like such a dynamic situation. They just sound so different, but so they probably work together pretty well. Yeah, they do. I mean, sometimes they don't, but then the yoga helps you deal with when they don't. So that's good. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, cool. So, what was life for what was life like for you as a kid? If you were to sum it all up into a brief summary, where did you grow up? And did you go to college? Do you have siblings? I was born in Baltimore, but I wasn't there very long. Um, my parents were separated before I was born, so um, right after I was born, we moved back to where my mom is from, which is Southern New Jersey, a really, really tiny, beautiful, beautiful beach town called Margate, New Jersey. I love that town so much. Um, my family is still there. Um, so I consider myself a Jersey girl, even though I was born in Baltimore. Uh, raised there, loved it. Beach, 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 beach. We grew up right on the beach. Um, 
And then I went to theater school in New Jersey. I went to Rutgers University and got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting and also studied in London. And then right after graduation, moved to New York. So I've been in New York uh, like around 99, 2000 is when I first moved to New York. Amazing. And there ever since. Wow. I was like a very grown up kid. My, my mom put me in a lot of lessons. So my friends make fun of me and call me pageant kid. I only did one pageant, but <laughs> I was in like a lot of lessons. So I was like a dancer and an ice skater and I played the flute and I had, so I was, I was softball, all the sports. Like I never, I always was doing something. I, I there was always a, a class or a lesson or a game or something. I wasn't very idle very much. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom's like, my, my friends are like, you're a pageant, pageant kid. I'm like, I'm not a pageant kid. I did one pageant, <laughs> but I am sort of like that kid that did all the things like a pageant kid did, but only one pageant, but they like to make fun of me uh, and say I was a Jersey pageant girl, but no, I was not. But <laughs> that kind of lifestyle of like, you know, being ferried around from one thing to another and just very busy. Yeah. I mean, so, and you, you have siblings? I have a half brother and a half sister. I was not raised with them. They were raised in Baltimore with my dad and my stepmom. Um, I got, I mean, I was seeing them quite often growing up, but I got really close, more close to them in kind of a brotherly, sisterly way later, like as adults, sort of like there's a huge age difference between my brother and I are eight years and my sister and I are 14 years. So it was sort of like I was their other parent more than a sibling. And it's only since we've all become adults that it's been, the dynamic has been more like sibling versus like second parent, you know, Mm -hmm. second round of mom, which is kind of what I was when they were little. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's so funny. I actually interviewed somebody else who went to Rutgers for acting. Oh, really? We all know each other. It's a very small group. Who is Is it? it? Uh, Michael Cinquino. Oh, I know him, the photographer. Yeah. yeah. So he, uh, he, I graduated when he first came in, but we're friends with all the same people. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I know him so... through everybody. Yeah. Wild. So, I mean, literally, it's a w- very competitive school, and they, my class only graduated eight, eight people, and something like 30,000 auditioned. It's very American Idol, 30,000 audition. They accept 20, <laughs> and then every year they cut, and my class only graduated with eight, and that's pretty common. So really everybody knows each other that graduates the theater department of any kind, whether you're a stage manager or lighting. We all know each other because there's really only eight of us in a class, and that's you know four years of undergrad and three years of, uh, two, year, two years of grad. Um, we, all, we all know each other because it's like eight people in a class, and we all work with each other, so... Wow. Yeah. That's wild. It's not like it was not a regular college experience. I mean, not yeah. remotely. Especially at so. Rutgers, which is massive for you to know people four years difference. Right. And even our like our regular classes, I, I don't think the grad kids, I was undergrad, Michael was grad, but I don't think that the grad kids had to take non in their, I don't know what the word, in their major classes, but the undergrads did because we still had to get our undergraduate degree. Mm. But even then, the, our schedules were so crazy that there was only like four classes that would fit at any time, regular classes, and they were also small. So the whole the whole experience was very atypical of any college, let alone Rutgers, which is like this massive university. Yeah. Massive. I did not have the regular records experience, like not at all. It's more like I went to, my college experience was smaller than both my high school and my grade school. 
Holy cow. Right. Yes. That's really cool. I love that. Um, did you always know you wanted to study acting growing up? You know, it's funny. Um, me and my parents disagree about this story quite a bit. Uh, I did not want to be an, I mean, I always had like, like I actually, the Sotero, um, my last name is Sotero and the Soteros are kind of an acting family. Like my, my dad is one of three and him and all his brothers and sisters played musical instruments and took dance lessons. None of them became, went on to become actors, but very creative and artistic. And then, um, all my cousins were in the industry too, uh, in varying scales. My cousin went to NYU, same year as I did, went to Rutgers and she went to Tisch, you know, and then my other cousin went to, uh, Boston Conservatory of Music. Um, my, you know, they did a lot of local New Jersey. They were like big wigs in local New Jersey theater. And, um, my brother went to school for screenwriting. So like we, we kind of all on some, so we were a creative family. Like we were making fake SNL shorts with a video camera all as a family, but <laughs> I really wanted to be a doctor. And the way that I remember it is that uh, when you go to Rutgers, you get to apply to three of their schools. And that was like my um, fallback school. All the other schools I was applying to were for pre-med or like, you know, general to go into pre-med. And I was able to audition. I got to pick three schools and I was like, eh, Mason Gross. And they were like, you have to audition. And I said, okay. I always did theater in school. And I auditioned and I got in and I was shocked because I wasn't really planning on and I just told myself that I I would try it and if I didn't like it I would go you know do something else I, I would I would leave after the first year my mom says that I really want once I auditioned I really wanted to get in I don't remember it that way I remember thinking I did terrible on the audition and being like it's okay I don't even really want to be an actor but my mom says I really wanted it I didn't so we, we have a little argument about that but <laughs> But yeah, she thinks that you saying that was just kind of like the uh, what would make you feel better. Maybe. Yeah. But I, I did. I, I really wanted to be in a uh, like a healing profession. My mom's a nurse. My dad's a doctor. I really felt a bent towards that. I, I just always thought the acting was fun and I was like kind of good at it. But I didn't in my mind that I, I wasn't thinking of it as a career. I was thinking, oh, my cousin Maria wants to do that as a career, not me. So. Wow. But. Yeah. So when do you think you got over that limiting belief now that you are in the career of voice? As soon as I started school, as soon as I started school, I was like, oh, there's the freaks that just like me, we're all like, I, I felt heard. Like I never, I didn't feel very, like I belonged in grade school or junior high. And so when I went to college, I was like, oh, <sighs> You know, like a typical thing, parents say it all the time. If you didn't like high school, you'll love college. I mean, that was exactly, as soon as I got to college, I was like, oh, okay, I could do this as a career. Now I want to do it as a career. Oh, that's so funny. Like second day of class, I knew. Wow. That's so lucky. Yeah. I went through college not knowing a thing about my future. And I didn't really like high school, didn't really like college besides the social aspect. And then I was like, you know what? It's probably post-college that's my time. (laughs) Yeah. Although, you know what? Now, you know, 20 plus years out of it, um, sometimes I, I mean, I sometimes wish that I had had a more broad base. Uh, I mean, I sort of... When I go, like I said, I'm all or nothing. When I go for something, I like really go for it. And so um, I'm glad I did that. But sometimes I wish that I had had 
that maybe I didn't know what I wanted to do and I had to do a little more searching maybe mm -hmm. because I think as an adult there were times where I was like wow I know how to do two things that's interesting you know but um yeah, so it's interesting. Like, you always want what you don't have. So you're saying, I wish I was more specific. And I'm like, oh, I wish I was more like, who knows what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's. I'm sure both have their pros and cons. And I, at the time, I had wished I had a little bit more clarity. But looking back, I'm pretty grateful for not. Because, right. I mean, I'm sure I would have been grateful if I had had clarity at that time. Right. And I would have been in a different place now but I'm grateful for where I am now and I'm excited for what I'm doing so I wouldn't have gotten here if it weren't for the route that I took exactly so, I mean, you never know what what left turn is going to take you somewhere so oh my gosh yeah yeah no. there is no real getting lost because each turn takes you to some place where you're supposed to go anyway totally that goes back to that quote that you started off with of what you took away from 2018 yeah exactly yeah my grandfather my mom always brings up my grandfather used to say if you make a plan God's gonna laugh at you <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just got to be re ready to roll with it because the more stringent you are to the original, the less signs you see along the way that's going to lead you. You know, you put on your blinders and then you're missing yes. so many little beautiful things along the way and also like hints to where you're supposed to go next, like a choose your own adventure book, you yeah. know? Yeah. So how would you give for someone who's a little lost and unsure, how would you explain of like keeping your eyes open for these signs? Well, there's like value in the muck. Like, don't try to rush through the icky parts. This is just good in life in general. Like, try not to rush through the middle. One time, um, I read this somewhere, and I, I use this a lot in my Dharma talks at the beginning of class, that, you know, when we're on the trapeze, like the swinging trapeze, and I'm always like, if you've, if you've seen Sex in the City, you know what being on a trapeze is like. So anyway, you're on the trapeze, that one episode. And we always think like rung to rung, and oftentimes in life, we don't want to um, grab the next rung. We, we want to grab the next rung while we're still holding on to the other one. And that's not how life works. If you try to grab one while the other one, you're still, you'll be stuck and you'll have to fall. You have to fully let go of one, hang out in the middle for a little while before you can grab the second. And sometimes that middle is like a really long time. And sometimes it's just a second. But you're going to miss that next rung if you don't let go of the first. So being in the muck, which is like the space in between the rungs, it's got a lot of juice. Like it's an important place to be and you learn a lot about yourself. And so try not to rush from one experience to another or one feeling to another feeling. Allow the gray area to kind of sit and marinate for a little while. Um, when you rush from one to one, you don't learn as much about yourself and you kind of band-aid things on top but when you hang out in the muck and you just try to enjoy the middle, um, one, you just learn how to live life better because life is mostly the middle. And two, you learn it's rare, you learn more transformative stuff about yourself. It's it's a it's a juicy, good and a good and juicy place to be as long as you're not um, trying not to be there. Right. So what do you do to enjoy the muck? Um, well, I try to slow it down and not, um, and keep my eyes open. I, I lived most of my life going from one thing to another. So I try to just be like, mm, today I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, meditation really helped me with that. And just to call what it is that I'm feeling instead of running away from it. So if it's, I feel scared because I don't know to just 
call it that and not just be not just rush or try to pretend that it's not happening. And then it's also good just to have certain things that anchor you in those times, things that, you know, you enjoy or that keep you sane. <gasps> Back edge. Sorry, it's my dog. <laughs> things that keep you sane so that you're not feeling like adrift during that time. Like yoga was one of those things for me. But whatever it is for, you know, maybe it's going to the movies. Maybe it's your dog who's barking very loudly or whatever it is. Just things that keep you feeling like you're still rooted, even if you're floating around. I love that. Yoga's a big one for me, too. Yeah. I think it is for a lot of people, which is why the people, it's become, uh, I think more people are thrust into the muck because of the way that, people don't really have job security like they like our parents did and so much of the world is kind of like all in the muck that yoga's it's a good business for yoga right now because it does ground a lot of people makes them the one thing that they can count on you know absolutely that that's it actually bothers me when people call it a fad or something yeah. you know it's like have you well, gone sure to it's a class? fad for some people but yeah. those are not the people that are coming back right right you Fair. know it's been around for a long time you know oh yes yeah a long time um all right amazing so what is your why my why of life yeah Oh, you're like, oh, look at my juicy face when I ask you that question. <laughs> I'm using juicy a lot. I have no idea why I keep using that word. I use that word a lot, too. I love okay, it. Okay, good. I'm like, why am I keep saying that word? <laughs> why? Actually, um, your, your language in this is so perfect because I use a lot of, uh, like, symbolic food words when I talk about go. spirituality. <laughs> so, so juicy is one of them, yeah. Um, I guess my why is I, I've always said that I wish that I could live – I wish I could live like 23 lives because I've, I've never been one of those people that has said, there's only one thing that I can do. And I said, I just am really curious about the way other people live. Um, and so I guess my why is just, I want to, I just want to immerse myself in how people do things or like what their story is. I'm really curious about people's stories and experiences so a lot of times my why is like, why are you the way you are? And I mean that in a positive way, not like, why are you the way you are? You know, mm-hmm. but why are you, why do you do these things? And because I think that nothing is as simple as it seems. And when you, the beauty of living is, is seeing how other people's experiences connect all together. You know, one of my favorite TV shows is CBS Sunday Morning, and I love The New Yorker, too. And it's those same kind of things. CBS Sunday Morning and The New Yorker, they have a way of um, doing stories on something totally random, like moss or something or, you know, or this man in North Dakota who collects, you know, beer cans and makes sculptures out of them or whatever. (laughs) That kind of stuff. I love that kind of shit. I love that random slice of life going deep into that one story the, why moss why collect cans and make art you know the motivation of why people do things or why organisms do things or that's keeps me going you know keeps me getting up in the morning yeah I can relate to that I love that and I think that's why podcasts are so uh, big right now because we just want to hear people's stories we want to be motivated and inspired to do more with our time and just to hear what other people do and why they do it yeah you can like dabble 
You know, you can dabble. One of the podcasts I listen to is about infectious diseases. Wow. <laughs> and I can like listen to like Ebola, like let's learn about Ebola or whatever <laughs> it is. And, you know, you can dabble and become um, in a short period of time, um, become really interested in a specific subject or an aspect of a specific subject through a podcast, which I think you might not be able to do reading all of that, you know, mm -hmm. just because of the fast pace of life, you know, you can listen to 10 minutes on the subway or while you're driving, trying to park your car or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So who or what has been your biggest source of inspiration? Um, well, I have to say, uh, like I said, weirdly, the New Yorker and CBS Sunday morning, um, I get a lot of inspiration when I'm class planning for yoga, you'd be surprised at the inspiration I get from the New Yorker, which never really doesn't really talk about yoga, but just, I get a lot of inspiration from that documentaries. I get a lot of inspiration from watching documentaries again, because the why of why people do things or why, why nature does things is really interesting to me. I get a lot of inspiration from that. Um, my dog, <laughs> now my kid, you know, um, kind of where I get inspiration from people watching uh that's Neat. sort of where I get a lot of my inspiration cool um I was actually going to ask you uh this kind of relates to what you were just saying you had opened up a class one day with the story of I don't know where you got it I think from a podcast and the woman who says find love everywhere you go oh yeah 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 can you tell that story sure um it was the On Being podcast, which I really like with Krista Tippett. She's like one of the best interviewers I've ever heard interview. She's really amazing. And she interviews people from everywhere. I mean, Nora Ephron, like a, a person who's specific, whose specific thing is studying moss, you know, like stuff like that. And she was interviewing this woman who's a cartoonist and a writer for The New Yorker, strangely, full circle. And... Um, the Krista Tippett was saying that, you know, in all of your work, there is this kind of beautiful innocence. And, you know, you've lived in New York forever and you're from Israel and all, you're 70 something and your husband died. Your love of your life died like pretty young. For all intents and purposes, you should not be this, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed in, in the way you, you view the world. And part of what makes your art really interesting is you just view the world from this kind of beautiful childlike naivete, but we know you're not naive, you know? And she said, well, I, I, I have always had the gift of um, not feeling like I need to rush anything. So I've always been kind of a, a slow person and I, I don't feel the need to rush. So I don't rush to get from one appointment to another. I, it just has never occurred to me to do that. And so because of that, I, I fall in love all the time. You know, she's like, I, I fall in love with the way the leaves look. And then two seconds later, I fall in love with the way that this one woman's green hat, uh, the texture of it. And then five minutes later, I fall in love with the sound that my shoes are making on the crisp grass. And she said, I just think that it's important to continue to find love because love is one of the most hopeful New love is one of the most hopeful states you can be in. And if you can just fall in love once every five to 10 minutes in a really true organic way, it makes life really, really hopeful. It's, it's easier to live um, not sad about the state of events of, which are very easy to be sad about. And, 
and I, I just loved, I just loved that, this idea that, you know, it's okay to walk down the street and fall in love with like eight people. Cause you're not falling necessarily in love with them. You're falling in love with the beauty that is in everything, you know, mm-hmm. it's really like that. And I've ever since I, I, I heard that I've, I've been doing that. I'll fall in love with the way the clouds are looking and I'll find myself being like to my partner, I'll be like, babe, look out the window. Look how the clouds are, you know, just falling in love with these little moments all throughout your day. It's hard to be depressed mm-hmm. when you do that. Wow. Yeah. I love that. And I've actually tried taking it on myself and whenever I can remember, <laughs> but the more Same I remember, I think it's, yeah, you got it. I think it's like a muscle. You just, you'll learn to do it more, you know, definitely. So thank you for bringing that into my life. And I hope we oh, can do the same for others right now. And that podcast is full of that stuff. I mean, you know, every once in a while, there's one that I don't really relate to, but I'd have to say that almost all of them, even subjects that I would not normally be interested in, mm-hmm. she has a way of bringing the interview to a place where there's a really many useful, pretty spiritual, depending on how you look at the word spiritual, um, full of spirit, you know, lifting of the spirit kind of way. Her podcast, all the questions somehow come back to something just beautifully inspirational. Amazing. I'm so excited to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, they're great. So speaking of spirituality, how would you define that? Um, It's meant different things throughout the years. Um, I think that my working definition now, probably for the last 10 years, is is what makes you feel connected to something larger than yourself. Um, maybe it's based in a religion, maybe it's not, but um, it's what it what it's what connects you to something higher than yourself that makes your inner self kind of vibrate at a at a more vibrant and a more um, louder makes your makes your inner inner person vibrate louder. Wow, that's that was well call. said. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, amazing. So my next question is, what would you say is the main factor for your self-motivation? Mm, I really want to understand myself on all levels and be okay with everything that I see. Um, so a lot of my motivation is just to try to be better, whatever that means, whether it's to, you know, be nicer or to under or be better to myself, like be nicer to myself or how can I, let me, let me track back when I was little. Um, I was obsessed. There was a note home from school that like really young, like first grade that the, that they wanted to see my mom because I was obsessed with death that they thought there was something wrong because I was obsessed with death. I kept talking about dying and all the stuff about death. And then when my mom asked me why, my mom's great in that way. She never treated me like a child in that way. She always was like, oh, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk to her. She'll tell me what it's about. Like, I'm not going to assume anything. And from a really early age, my goal was I wanted to have my obituary in the New York times. Like first grade, I was like, I want my obituary in the New York times. And so the <laughs> teachers thought I was obsessed with death. But then when my mom asked, I said, because I want to be, I want to change the world and be known for something. And she's like, oh, she's not obsessed with death. She just, I just really wanted to leave my mark. And I didn't need to, I didn't need to leave my mark by being like a famous person, but I wanted to impact a lot of people 
in a profound way that would then make my obituary. I just knew that all people that were like impactful had an obituary in the New York Times. So that was why (laughs) I wanted that. Um, I just wanted to leave. I wanted to be able to, quote unquote, touch a lot of people and leave an impact that would be more than just my small town. Um, And so I think some of my motivation is to how can I impact people, um, but by also What's the word I'm looking for? My grandmother always said, you know, be a beacon so that others want to be like you instead of telling people how they should be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that part of my idea of wanting to impact a lot of people is to be to be a certain way myself so that that I don't have to tell people that my what I do and how I am impacts people. That did, that sounded weird, but I don't know how to describe it better. No, that's great. <laughs> I love that. I think a lot of people could probably resonate with that because and that's so cool that as a child it, they were like why does she love death? But really you loved life. Right, exactly. Exactly. And I just they, wanted to be able to like live the heck out of it so that when I was gone that people remembered that instead of that oh she died, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> I also said I wanted to be eccentric. And when they like, again, in like a first or second grade, and they said, what does that mean? Of course, I think I spelled it E-G-G. Like I didn't really know how to spell it eccentric. And they're like, what does that mean? And I said, I want to wear a lot of patterns all at once with red lipstick and have a bird that sits on my shoulder and wear all of my jewelry all at once, <laughs> which is still kind of what I want to be. Like Iris Appel, that's like exactly who I want to be. So I hasn't really changed very much. I want to be eccentric. It's fabulous. That's so amazing. And it's so funny because I feel like if you really think back to childhood, we probably don't change that much in what our desires and our dreams. But you're lucky that you had parents that it sounds like they helped guide you. Yeah. They were like, okay with all that. Yeah. Oh, do you not want to be eccentric, Luna? Oh, sorry. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) All right. Uh, Where did you do your yoga teacher training and when did you start teaching? Um, I did. It's a studio that doesn't exist anymore. It's called it was called Yoga People, not Yoga to the People, which I know is like the you know, everybody knows that one. But it was just a small studio in Brooklyn. I honestly had been practicing. um, Oh, my baby girl. Sorry. She just woke up and then is going to go to sleep. Um, (laughs) I've been practi- I had been practicing a lot at Laughing Lotus because when I started doing yoga in New York, there wasn't really a lot of studios. There was like three studios that you could go to. It was like 1999. It was like Jiva Mukti, uh, like two Ashtanga studios and Laughing Lotus. I mean, that was it. It was like even before Yoga Works was in New York. Shh. Hold on. Sorry. Okay. Oh, but mom life. Yeah. So I really was practicing a lot at Laughing Lotus and some in an Ashtanga studio. But I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford teacher. I mean, I was always a working actor. Like I could barely afford living alone, let alone like adding another thing on. So um, there came a point where I sort of felt like at a certain point in my life, I was like, I think that now (laughs) is the perfect time for me to do a teacher training. However, I don't have the money (laughs) to do it. So they, um, this yoga people were, they were offering a scholarship where you would, get half of, more than half of your tuition paid for if you did like a work exchange. And I had been um, 
really good at planning yoga retreats. I had helped plan a few yoga retreats. And so I did their programming. They had never done a yoga retreat before. I basically did started their programming for yoga retreats and did some like work study hours or whatever and was able to do the teacher training when I wanted to do it. But I actually didn't know the studio. I got lucky that I had two really good teachers. One I really shaped me, um, Matthew Seidman, who lives in California now. I don't even know if he's teaching much yoga anymore. But he was an Ashtanga teacher at the Shala, um, which is a place I still go to practice. Um, and we had other teachers too, but, um, Matthew Simon was like really inspirational to me. And so I finished my teacher training and started teaching right after that. And then, but have, have since done tons and tons of additional education places like Laughing Lotus and meditation stuff. And I sort of viewed the 200 hour training kind of like a general bachelor's degree where mm. I thought it was important to go to a place that had good teachers, but I wasn't really as concerned. I knew that for me, I thought that um, after I got the basics down, that I would then know how I wanted to steer my practice, like in what direction did I want to go. But I just needed to get some of the fundamentals down of teaching. And that's sort of exactly what I did. I, I got a good base and then I knew better where I wanted to get more specialized training. Because I, if I was waiting to go, do Laughing Lotus, I would have never had enough money to do it. And I just would have kept putting it off. And I, I had enough wherewithal to know that at this point in my life when I did it, I was really at a, um, like a crossroads and I felt really like that was a ripe, ripe again, ripe and juicy <laughs> time to do it. And it, it was. So I did my, my initial training there. Oh, it was like 10, 10, 11 years ago. I don't know. I can't remember. A long time ago. And I started teaching a class or two right away afterwards, but it wasn't like my career mm -hmm. at that point. But I, I taught, started teaching right afterwards. Amazing. At the studio where you got your, no, I mean, I subbed there, but I got, I'm a real, I'm really good at getting jobs. <laughs> I always have been. It doesn't even matter what the, like I'm great at getting jobs. I've never been unemployed for, for a very long time. I've done a million different things. I'm very employable evidently, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I'm friendly and I'm, I'm well-educated. I can like pick up a lot of different things. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just got jobs. I'm good at getting jobs. So I just, I like subbed at the place I got a class at, but I got a job at a gym. And then, um, this one studio that I worked for a very long time, someone just knew of me and I subbed and then I was their main teacher for like eight years. I just, I'm really good at getting jobs. <laughs> like that's the best thing I can say is, just good at getting jobs. Yeah. So I, I mean, started teaching right away. Cool. I mean, you're a great yoga teacher, so it makes sense why you can oh, easily get a teaching okay. job. I had been practicing for almost 12, 15 years before. I started practicing yoga pretty pretty young. So um, I had been I had a full body of practice before I got my teacher training, at least 12 years of, wow. of pretty consistent practice. I would say the five years of consistent practice and maybe another five of medium consistent practice before I ever did my training. So it wasn't like I just had picked it up. Mm -hmm. Part of what I, the reason why I could get a job so easily was I'd already had kind of a dedicated practice. So I knew I, knew, I had an idea of what I liked and what I didn't like as a teacher. Right. That makes sense. Well, at what age did you start getting into it and how? Um, high school, junior high, I was a dancer and I had a lot of injuries and I knew of this thing called yoga and it was before anything. So I got like a book from the library that had 
like a lady in a leotard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got some Rodney Yee VHS tapes that I AM PM yoga. Every person I know that started doing yoga in the 90s, they had that damn tape, the AM PM Rodney Yee yoga tape. And I did that tape every day. And then when I went to college, um, I looked for a yoga class because my small town did not. I mean, we only got yoga in my small town like a couple years ago. And I know the teachers because there's not many in my small town. <laughs> but then in college, I'd heard that there was a class at the rec center like on Saturdays. And I went and it was all the professors. It was just a bunch of like professors in their 50s and 60s and me and my roommate. <laughs> and we would do yoga and then when the, then in between we do our AM, PM, Rodney, yay. And then um, then I moved to New York and there was studios. So then I started going to either Jivamukti or um, Laughing Lotus. Like I said, there just was not a lot of studios. Sydney, um, Sydney Lee at Om Yoga. Um, so then I started doing it pretty right. Then it's when I started getting kind of a different kind of dedicated practice. And really my practice started to flourish where I want, decided I wanted to be a teacher. I had, li- I was living in LA for a couple years for pilot season and part of my French, but it was a shit show. <laughs> my time in LA was both wonderful and a shit show. Um, and that anchor thing that I was telling you about yoga became my sanity and I did it every single day. That's and yoga was big in L.A. anyway, so there was a lot more places to practice than there had been in New York at, the, at that time. Now it's not so much, but uh, they're about equal. But that little time in L.A., I was like, now I'm going to become a teacher. Like I have a really – after that, when I came back to New York, I was like, yeah, I'm going to become a teacher now. Wow. So how did you have um, experience putting together retreats? Where did that come from? I had gone on a couple and um, knew that I had become friends with a lot of my teachers because I, you know, people who love yoga become friends with their teachers. So, and I had helped a couple of them. I'm really good at organizing and I travel a lot. Um, and so I just kind of picked up from helping them and being a well-traveled person uh, and also having kind of an eye for business. I have always had a little, a business mind. I just started doing them and I had some connections um, of yoga retreat places because I had gone on a few. So I had made friends with some of the retreat owners and had kind of an idea of how to do it. Um, and again, uh, people love giving me jobs. So <laughs> I became close to those yoga retreat people and they even offered me jobs. And so I could say, hey, wh- what is the actual budget that I should be, you know, I could ask them questions. Oh, thanks, babe. Yeah, I just got good at they like they were okay with answering questions with me. I think that maybe other places wouldn't, and they actually gave me some good deals, and so the studio was really happy that I was working for them because I had was able to negotiate some good deals, hmm. and so yeah, I just again I just kind of fell into <laughs> fell into it. A lot of the stuff maybe because I keep my eyes open in the muck, but I fell into doing that and that. Still to this day, I, this is last year is the only year I didn't do a retreat because I was pregnant, but I would do like two or three a year myself, um, leading them. I love it. It's, cause it's like, what's better yoga and travel. It's awesome. Yeah. It's the best yeah. of all the worlds. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely in my dreams, but I'm just not there yet. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. And you know, if I strongly recommend that if you want a yoga retreat, like a lot of these places, they need help. They need employment. So you know, if you, for instance, there's this place I go in Costa Rica and they're always looking for people to work for them. So 
you could like live that retreat lifestyle by also donating a bunch of your time. And lots of these places will let you do like a work exchange where you can live on premises of the retreat center if you work for them. And it's great because you're not working all the time, you know, and you can kind of retreat with whatever retreat is visiting and you get kind of the best of both worlds. A lot of retreat centers, they, a lot of their employment is kind of work study style employment. So hmm. I encourage people that if they want to do that, just fish around, ask, you know, what's the worst they could say? No, mm -hmm. you know, just ask a lot of people if you pay for your own plane ticket, we'll have a place for you to stay as long as you work. Right. What kind of work do they ask for? Um, sometimes kitchen help, like chopping up stuff or maintenance, cleaning. Um, if you have a skill, like if you're a yoga teacher, um, they'll just have you teach one class a day there. Cause not a lot of yoga retreat places, they have a retreat, but they also have locals that take class. So they'll have like a retreat there. And then the retreat center has two classes that they always have there mm -hmm. and the locals can come. So yeah, there's all sorts of sweeping the shala, maintaining, helping run the office, be the liaison between the person who's having the retreat and the retreat center. So stuff like that. Neat. Yeah. Um, okay. So how did you get into the voiceover world specifically? Uh, fell into it. Hate to say it. Uh, <laughs> I had a showcase from theater school and uh, for people that don't know what showcase is, you basically perform scenes for agents and cast both casting agents and uh, talent agents. And um, a bunch of people asked me to interview um, both what they call legit agents, which is TV, film and theater, and then commercial agents, which is um, commercial print and voiceover. And the commercial agent I just thought wanted me for like TV commercials on camera. And as I was meeting with them, they were like, they said, you have a really interesting voice. And I said, I do, <laughs> which is everyone's answer, I think. And they said, yeah, so, you know, let's meet with the voiceover department. So I met with them and they signed me too. And I had no experience. Um, and then I just learned on the job and turned out I had a very popular voice and I was good at it. And so it's a very small industry. And so once you start working, um, it's a small group of people that do it. So I was, it was easier for me to get voiceover jobs once I was in than it was to get other jobs because the pool was smaller mm. of people who did it. And it was a great way for me to stay afloat in between, you know, TV and film and theater gigs and stuff like that. And, and now it's one of the things I enjoy doing the most. Um, I've given up doing TV commercials. I don't enjoy it anymore. Um, and give, given up, like, acting on TV and film as my full-time job. Um, but I love voiceover. I love it. Yeah, it's got to be You can be anyone fun. you want to be. It's amazing. Yeah, so that's my next question is you don't only use your regular speaking voice, right? No. Mm -mm. I've played boys. I've played Brazilian women. I've played uh, animals. I mean, they don't see you. So as long as you can adjust your voice, I've done tons of accents different genders, different races. I'm a good mimic. So I can do a lot of different, um, voices or voice match. It's just really freeing and no one sees you. So the other, you know, TV and film and being an actor, a lot of it is so much about the way you look. And sometimes your look is very limiting. Um, and it's not that way. It's very freeing because it has just singularly to do with your talent in this small 
vortex of just your voice. You know, it's really nice. Yeah. Do you take voice lessons or have you ever? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I can't imagine life in your shoes. (laughs) I mean, I've taken lots of other lessons, but I didn't take any voiceover lessons. Okay. Um, I took, I had to learn how to do commercials. I was really bad at them. So I took lessons in that and I took a lot of theater lessons and, um, I took a couple of vocal singing lessons, but I didn't take voiceover lessons. I just, mm. that I just did just come by naturally. Once I learned a couple of things on the job, um, just little tricks, you mm. know, um, then I just started working. Did the singing lessons help a lot? Some, I mean, it trained your ear, but and I've only booked a couple singing voiceovers, but they were specifically, I had to sing badly on them. So I don't think, which is actually harder to do than you think. It's hard to sing very poorly on purpose. Um, it just trains your ear, but it, I mean, it help, I mean, everything helps everything. So it didn't not help, but I don't, yeah, it just helps train your ear for me, at least in that, in that specific capacity. Yeah. Can you give us an example of, um, one of your other voices? I mean, I guess stereotypically there's this voice, but then I also have like a really deep raspy voice where I used to do all these MTV ads where I was like, next up on the 10 spot, you know, like that kind of like sexy gravelly voice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had a cartoon that aired for a little while where I was like talking like this, like it was like, like a a little kid voice on the floor like this, (laughs) like with a lisp. And I do all sorts of accents and. But yeah, mostly it's like this high-pitched one, and then I have like a deep, kind of sexy little one. And then there's lots of in-between, but those are the two main ones. But I have a couple of video games that I've done where I'm playing like a Brazilian woman, like just all these like crazy accents, and it's it's super fun. Yeah, it sounds it. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, What do you think is the secret trick to building and maintaining enough energy to be productive to do all the things that you do? I feel like you wear many hats. Yeah, I just have, I mean, I have a lot of energy anyway. I have to say I naturally have a lot, a lot of energy. I always have. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it. And so I do a lot and now I know what to do with it. (laughs) But just to continue to stay inspired really gives you energy to make connections with people. Don't live your life just in a um, cocoon. You know, when you go out of your house, talk to the guy at your deli, try to make conversation with the person on the subway or, um, that really gives me energy. The times I feel drained of energy is when I isolate and I'm not falling in love every 10 minutes with something I see, you know, kind of what keeps your gas tank full, um, is to stay inspired. And, and the easiest way to stay inspired Cause not everyone can be like, I'm going to go to the theater and spend money on a concert and, you know, but you can stay inspired just from actually taking in a person on the street and having a conversation with them. You can be inspired that way. It doesn't have to cost money to be inspired. I read a lot. I get a lot of inspiration from reading. I just try to stay so that my gas tank stays a little full, um, by being inspired you know, one, one on being podcast can inspire me for weeks, you know, just about keeping your, making time to invest in putting some gas in the tank. Mm. That and I eat a lot. <laughs> I'm a big eater. <laughs> That'll I, fuel yeah, you. I have a huge appetite. That's I'm sort so of like funny. a bird. I eat a lot. Yeah. 
What's your sign? <laughs> I'm an Aries. Oh, and okay. I'm a stereotypical Aries. Yeah. Okay. My partner is an Aries too. We're we're one one day apart. What? Two Aries. Yep. That sounds like an explosion. It it is. It's good too because I have never had someone that challenged me, mm-hmm. and so I get bored easily. But we challenge each other, so we don't really get bored. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much I'm an Aries with a Virgo something, either rising or moon. Mm. And I am pretty like you read the Aries are, and I'm like, yep, 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 <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> What's your sign? I'm a Scorpio on the beginning of the Scorpio Sag cusp. Oh, that's my daughter is a Scorpio. When's her, when was she born? October 30th. She was almost a Libra. So she's like two days into Scorpio. Oh, wow. And it's funny because my OB was, was like, ooh, Scorpios. She was like, do you want me to induce early? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know two Aries and a Scorpio. It's kind of like, oh, it could be really volatile. I was like, I'll take my chances. <laughs> She's trying. Oh my gosh. That's She's like, two days early with induction, you could have a Libra. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the new, you know, creating your child phenomenon. <laughs> Well, I conceived my daughter on the full moon. Again, yoga teacher things. I conceived my daughter on the full moon, which is partially the reason why her name is Luna, um, partially. And uh, so then my doctor was like, well, you conceived on the full moon. There's a full moon on Wednesday, which would make her a Libra full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. She's had some experiences with Scorpios, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. Yoga teacher picks a, an OB that talks to you about your signs. That's <laughs> so, so funny. It's so like a, a Broad City episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So I have a lot of Scorpio friends, though. So I was like, I think I'll be OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, who are we surrounded by? And it's I think that's the biggest thing, because I, I was going to say, I read somewhere when I found out that my daughter was going to be a Scorpio, that if Scorpios have an artistic outlet, that they're emotionally balanced and that a lot of emotional imbalance that comes from that specific sign is when, because Scorpios are such like deep feeling people, that if they're not able to channel their feelings out through an artistic, you know, some sort of artistic venture that it gets bottled up. And that's where that kind of like negative aspect of Scorpio comes from is they're not able to um, release it via a creative outlet. That... I don't know if it speaks to you, but yes. we're going to get Luna all the art. She can pick her artistic outlet. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. I love that you said that because that makes so much sense. It's I was... just like they're such deep feelers that they need a way to let it out or else it, it gets icky in there. Yeah. Totally. Like a hurricane. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So there you have it. There's the balance. (laughs) Wow. That makes so much sense because I can honestly say I am probably at my happiest right now. And it's ever since starting this and right before this, before I decided I'm going to start a podcast, um, I was a little confused and lost because my previous venture idea just wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh my God, now I have to find the next thing. And it's just this like built up chaos. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Instagram was luckily that 
foundation for me because I find creative expression mm. via Instagram, which is so That's nice. Awesome. I've always yeah. been a little more techie and my sister got the nice like she can draw and paint <laughs> and act and so Well now I mean tech is the way of the future for creativity. Like really, like you're ahead of the game. I'm still like, oh, I got my typewriter, my scribe. <laughs> like technology is the way is the way of the artistic future. So you're really ahead of the game. Oh good. Yes. <laughs> Wait, do you really have a typewriter? Uh, no, I wish I did, but I handwrite almost everything. Yeah. I really I love to handwrite things. I like handwrite notes. I my partner just last year had me give up my um, handwritten, helped me evolve, not give up my <laughs> handwritten calendars, and I have a digital shared calendar. But it took me forever. No, for my calendar, I like to handwrite everything. Yeah, but I'm so scr- I'm like such a scribbly person. So that's how I would remember it. Now it's it definitely helpful since we're sharing a lot of needing to share, but I'm a very just like tactile, I like paper. I'm a tactile person. Mm, My sister's like that. I was, I I didn't get those jeans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, but if it doesn't turn out great, then I'm kind of pissed. So you're like, I invested all this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, all right. Amazing. So can I ask you a question? Oh, please. How do you find your subjects? That's a great question. Usually it's people that I know so far. Mm. I mean, this is so new. Like I, I, um, I launched just last Thursday on Valentine's Day and I had about five completed and one call recorded. So six. Um, nice. But so far, they're just people that I know and that have that inspire me in some way. And I reach out to them and I see if they're willing to do this with me and for me. And they usually are. That's so, awesome. I know. Um, luckily, I have a pretty big sphere a pretty big network, I would say. And I think maybe a lot of it has to do with that. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And I was all over the place. Just like you dabbled. Exactly. So, I mean, my mom's a realtor and she's all over the place. So I kind of got that from her. So I'm all over the place and I've just met a a good amount of people through the years in very different, uh, diverse ways. And New York is so good for that too. If you're if you're of the mindset where you like to collect people, New York mm. is so good for that. It's just so wonderful. I did not have that kind of luck in Los Angeles. I collect. I like to collect people in general, so I did have a little my little people collection, which <laughs> sounds creepy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> That's my people collection. It's like so creepy. But New York is really good because people. There's so many different like side webs of people interacting that it's a good way. You know, it's easy to have a bunch of people that inspire you. Totally. In a sense, it's actually a little overwhelming, which I'm trying not to be overwhelmed by because there are so many things that you can do and places to go to meet new people. I'm like, well, where do I even start? But luckily, I I manage a building for a co-working space. So that's where I've gotten some people um, just from, you know, managing the building and communicating with them and them inspiring me and and realizing who I like to cross paths with on a daily basis. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's been helpful. Um, okay. So this one's obvious, but I just want to see like your answer again, Sure. but do you have a wellness routine? And if so, what is it? Yeah. I mean, it definitely changes sometimes. Like, um, I like right now I'm not able to be as physically active as I would like to be because I'm still trying to figure out, um, how the heck to manage time with a, a, a new little person that is dependent on me. But, um, yoga and meditation. Meditation, I was really late to the game on. Um, the the physical yoga practice kind of was an easy thing because I was so physical anyway. And 
I think a lot talking about having bounds of energy and not knowing what to do with it. I think a lot of my um, unhappiness came from restlessness and being having too much energy and too much time to think about stuff, even when I was busy. So yoga at first I had an extremely vigorous yoga practice and it tired me out enough to relax. Uh, okay. So I, that's not sustainable over time, especially as you get older mm. to just tire, only tire yourself out as a way to relax. Um, so then I learned meditation and again, it took a long time for me to get on that train, but, um, learn how to relax without just tiring yourself out like a puppy, but you could do that without tiring yourself out. Um, so meditation and, um, a physical yoga practice. Although, like I said, right now, my yoga practice is not as physical, um, but a commitment to moving my body and trying to clear my mind out in some way. Um, I'm not like a completely clean eater. I've always been a very healthy eater, but I'm not, not like the most stringent health person. I have just always been healthy. And so I don't feel the need to go hardcore. I just, I eat what my body craves. Sometimes it's way more healthier than others, but I've always been a pretty healthy eater. Um, done through, you know, gone through various fads, not, it's not the word fads, not the word lifestyles within that eating. Mm. Um, and I'm really close to my family. I really, it's been important to me to always stay very close to my family as a wellness thing. And I'm a firm believer in therapy. I've been in therapy forever. Even when you don't need it, I think you should go. Um, my mental health is really important to me. Having um, had a career that challenges mental health quite a bit, Act, theater career, acting career is very challenging to mental health. Um, putting that as a priority um, above the job, the mental health above the job is one of the things that was a game changer for me. I used to always put the job before the mental health. And then I was like, nope. And that was a real big game changer that who cares what it is that you do as your job, feeling well in your body and in your mind is more important than what your job is. I think that was a big game changer, realizing that it isn't what you do, it's how you do it, that it doesn't really matter my job. Like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what successes I have if I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. So people will remember how you are, not what you did. Yes. So, you know, you could be, it doesn't matter, you know, just be, be a, a happy person, a good person in whatever it is that you do. And that's what people will remember. They don't really care what it is that you do. Totally. So that's my main wellness thing I would say is that is just put your own well-being before some sort of title mm -hmm. or job or accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, where do you suggest that people find a therapist if they're looking for one? Um, don't be afraid to tell people that you want a therapist. <laughs> I mean, mental health, one of, one of my passions as a yoga teacher is to de or as a person is to destigmatize, um, whether you want to call it mental illness, it doesn't even have to be considered mental illness, but your, your mental health, wellness. Mentally, yeah, exactly. Um, it's okay. You'd be surprised the minute that you start, I remember not to backtrack, but I was really afraid of sharing that I had gone through some, I have a little bit of OCD and I have a lot of anxiety, um, and some depression. And I remember when I first started teaching yoga, I was like, I can't let people know because they want a yoga teacher that has their shit together. I can't let them know. 
And at one point I just was like, I was like, why am I doing that? And I decided to share that I was on a struggle bus and that I was still getting up, putting one foot in front of the other. And it was then that like my whole world opened up. I became a, a better yoga teacher, a far more effective yoga teacher. I found my purpose um, because I, so many people came up to me and was like, me too, me too, me too. There is not one single person that has not felt mentally unwell at some point in their lives. And so one I would say is if you're able to um, be okay with sharing it, ask, ask around, Hey, does anyone, and I think it's getting easier now these days, but Hey, does anyone have a good therapist that they can recommend? Also, there's a, like the list of, uh, psychology today online has a great list of doctors in your area. Um, I found when I've moved different places, I found my doctors through psychology today. Um, and just don't be afraid that it, you got, sometimes you got to kiss a lot of frogs. Like you just, Someone can be a good therapist and not be a good therapist for you. And so it's, it can be very frustrating. You sometimes have to try a lot of therapists before you find one that you like. I always, I would give them three shots, three sessions. And if it wasn't, didn't feel right after three, I would move on. Um, but you just have to kind of be diligent and just not give up and not just think that therapy is not for you. Same thing with yoga teachers. Like if you don't like yoga, maybe you don't like yoga, but might be the teacher you need. Sometimes you just need the right teacher to really connect to something. Same thing with a therapist. Like don't just discount that it's not for you. Do try a bunch of different ones because just not one size fits all for everybody. Yeah. But psychology today is a good resource. Um, and then also, um, just ask around cause maybe somebody that, you know, has, you know, it's like a good, it's like getting a haircut Anybody <laughs> know somebody that cuts curly hair, give me a few references, you know, <laughs> hopefully it will become as okay to ask for mental health recommendation. Like you asked for a haircut recommendation. I really hope that that becomes just, just the same. Agreed. I think it is almost. I think it is too for our generation, though. Yeah, especially and in New York culturally. City. Culturally, yeah, I was gonna say New York City. I think that there are some cultures that are just are not there yet. Mm -hmm. But I think definitely New York is much, you know, yeah. is much more now now open minded. Right, but I bet. At, sorry. Oh, and for anyone that's listening, if you are, don't have the funds, any any university teaching any teaching school that has a master's of psychology or PhD master's of therapy or doctorate of psychology offers extremely inexpensive therapy with their last year doctorate students. Hmm. They're viewed, the teacher oversees it so that you're not like, you know, you're under supervision beyond just this, but the last year students of their doctorate program, um, pay like $25 a session. So times that I've been on the lean side, that's what I've done. I've gone to like Beth Israel or any of the teaching hospitals, asked for their psychology department and their last year um, psychiatrist or psychology students take patients. That's really good to know. Yeah. For like 25 bucks, 10 yeah. bucks. And you don't even have to go through insurance. No, mm -mm. no, it's just available. And again, the teacher oversees in varying, whatever you feel comfortable, it could be videotaped, they could be that whatever feels comfortable. There's an intake with a with a doctor who's been a psychiatrist or psychologist for many, many years. They set you up with one of their students that's in their final year as part of their 
like, you know, rounds or so to speak. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a really good way if you're, if the reason why you're not going to therapy is the cost, that's a real, someone told me that and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not just New York, any teaching hospital, you can kind of get on that. It's a really, most people don't know that resource. That's real. It's a really good resource. Yeah. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there a daily or weekly habit you have that's a non-negotiable in your lifestyle? Um, used to be yoga, but, uh, like I said, my, my idea of what yoga is has opened up quite a bit. Uh, so coming to my mat and physically doing the yoga practice isn't the only way I consider yoga. So for me, it's taking some quiet time to either meditate or reflect or journal that all follows the, um, under the umbrella of yoga for Mm -hmm. me. Um, that's kind of a non-negotiable Um, I need a little bit of quiet, private quiet. I need, that's been when I've never lived with a partner and this is my, 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 um, my partner now we live together and it's one of the most important things is that there's just some time where it's just me and maybe my baby too, depending on the luxury of what I have, but that, um, it's just my time. I need a little time carved out where it's just me alone in some sort of quiet. That's a non-negotiable. I will go bonkers if I don't have that. Like when we've traveled with my family or I've traveled with his family, um, I'll say, I need to walk away and I just need 10 minutes, just some time where it's just me with my thoughts. I love driving for that reason, but that's kind of a non, that's my only non-negotiable right now is that I just need some, just me in the quiet. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. I like I said, sometimes it's me and my daughter while she's sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's had to change a little bit, but yeah, every day. Sometimes right. it's when you're on the toilet, whatever it is, <laughs> you, take what, you take what you get, you know, but I need, I need a little yeah. quiet, private. Yeah. I actually read an article once and it was saying how um, a good place to take your break from work is in the bathroom yeah where no one could bother you (laughs) exactly and whatever that means to you listening to one song on your earbuds listening to a podcast couple deep breaths a four-minute meditation like whatever it is but my brain needs that space yeah or else I I don't do very well yes the space yeah all right um you might've already mentioned this, but is there, oh, sorry. What do you, what is it you do that helps you through current challenges that you did not have in your toolbox five years ago? Well, meditation is something that I didn't have in my toolbox. Mm. Um, I met a meditation teacher named David Wagner. He used to go by the uh, name Harshita. He's going more by David Wagner these days. Harsha was like his, um, ashram name. Um, but his name is David Wagner. Um, he kind of changed the game for me meditation wise. Um, I just thought I was bad at meditation because I had been doing one certain kind of meditation. It wasn't really effective. And I started studying with him and um, it just clicked. And he challenged me in many ways and made me really um, put me up against myself in a way that I hadn't. And I appreciate I appreciated that challenge. I um, A lot of the people in my life, my, in my life that that I kind of stick with are people that cha- that challenge me that don't let me just get away with shit. 
because I can get away with a lot of shit. I have that kind of personality where people are like, oh, she's doing great. It's fine. You know, like she's doing shit's fine. 90 percent. Great. You know, <laughs> but um, so my partner doesn't let me get away with it. And this meditation teacher didn't the kind of tough love mm-hmm. and just whatever his approach was. And I guess the time that I found him, it just it clicked. And I he really changed that changed a lot for me um, as far as yoga and meditation and spirituality. He really put me on a kind of different track. So that's something that I didn't have five years ago. Maybe it was just almost five years ago that I met him, I would say. Mm. But um, that's probably the biggest change in five years. And I attribute um, me and my partner hitting it off the way we did because of him, because he had when I would start working with my meditation teacher, he started having me look at various habits that no longer suited me or patterns. And I was able to see some patterns in my life that just, I didn't even realize had become a pattern that were not healthy, like who I chose to be with in my romantic relationships. And I, once I saw the pattern, then I could break the pattern, but I didn't even see it before. I didn't, it was like, was not even aware to me. And so one of the patterns was like who I was dating. It was just I kept dating the same kind of person. It didn't occur to me. Um, and as soon as I, my David helped me kind of see some of those things, not just relationships, but the whole group of patterns in life. And that's one of the reasons why I think I was able to find my partner that I have now, because he does not fit that pattern that I had had before. Wow. We all need a David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's great. He's on he's on Yoga Glow. I think they're just calling Yoga Glow now just Glow, G-L-O. But he does meditations on there. He lives in Ojai now, California, but he used to be a New Yorker. And he comes back and forth all the time. But he's on – people can find him on Yoga Glow, which, I, like I said, I think is now just going by Glow, G-L-O.com. Okay. But he has a lot of it. Yeah. It's an online, uh, it's like the Netflix of spirituality. Oh. <laughs> they would probably hate that I said that, but it's <laughs> like, uh, you pay a membership fee similar to Netflix, like $8 something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's some of the world's best yoga teachers and meditation teachers Wow. on that platform. And I, that's what I use when I can't make a class and it's especially become more important now that I have a kid that I can just jump on there. Cause I might not physically be able, I might only be able to take when my kid is taking a nap and then I can just turn on yoga glow and take a class there Mm. or do a meditation there that's a great resource i'm going to share that thank you welcome all right are you a morning meditation with yoga glow but that's what i what'd you say (laughs) i said i I, after seeing that fire festival documentary i'm like this is not a paid partnership with yoga glow i have no affiliation with them (laughs) but it's just a real personal thing that i i like them (laughs) you know (laughs) no i could feel that yeah (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, that was a funny little documentary. (laughs) Um, Okay, are you a morning person or an evening person? Eh, I'm just a person. Okay. I I don't, I just, whatever. Mm -hmm. I really, it's vacillated over the years. When I was a theater actor, I was a night person because my night started at 8 p.m. Now, becoming as a yoga, and I used to be a bartender. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely a night person because my night would start at 7 and end at 4 in the morning. Um, but as a yoga teacher, I've become a little bit more of a morning person. I'm just whatever I have to be. Yeah. So I'm becoming like a, 10, like a 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. kind of gal. <laughs> like those are my perfect hours. But um, yeah, I really hate three and four p.m. Uh, I don't do well at that time. 
I really don't have crash hard, but any other time, really, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so now that you have a baby, that makes you even more so probably mourning. Yeah, or my dog first did it to me, oh. my dog. She actually is really good. She's like, I hate any parents that are listening to it. I don't mean to brag, but she sleeps through the night, and she, like, gets me up at, like, 5 or 6. I give her a bottle, and she goes back to sleep. So I can't really... Aww. My dog is the person that gets me up the earliest. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay. So, uh, what are three okay. things still on your bucket list and why? Um, well, I want my obituary in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> That'll probably be the last one. Who knows? Reincarnation. You know, you never know. Um, there's a bunch of more places I want to travel to. My, me and my best friend had said we wanted to hike Machu Picchu. So I'd like to do that, um, that New York Times <laughs> obituary. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really make lists of, like, things I want to do. I don't – I don't know. Like, definitely, I, like, I want to do more traveling. Um, I guess have a kid was one of those things. But cross that one off, winning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't really – I mean, if I were to think, I would say travel and um, – yeah, I don't know. I don't really create too many ultimate, like, I don't know. I try not to create too many, like, I've got to do this because usually you get let down. So I just want to experience as much as I can, um, you know, while I am on this planet, really. But I guess travel more is one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have, like, a bunch of things that I want to do. I just try to do them. Yeah, that works. <laughs> I always want to travel more, I guess. Me too. Yeah. All right. And this is the last question. Um, is there anything you wish we spoke about, something I didn't ask, or something intuitive that you'd like to share? Oh, good question. Um, let's see. I don't know. I think that for me, being a yoga teacher and being a voiceover actor – I think one of the things that I've tried to do recently is to try to not make them two different hats that I put on. Um, I've been trying to like not have to be all one kind of person or all another kind of person, but just to integrate all the aspects of myself into just like, that's my person and then not, not segregate them. Like even things down, like I'm one of the things I guess I should do is, um, I'd had, CarrieStero.com was first just an acting website. Then I totally took all my acting stuff out of it, off of it, and now it's just a yoga website. And now I'm like, well, why? Why can't it's just me? So why can't it be both? And I think just as I get older, I the the rules don't matter so much to me anymore. And so in everything I do, I, I just don't want there to be segregated boxes where I'm a mother in one box and I'm a voiceover actor in another box and I'm a yoga teacher in this other box. I'm trying to find a way to blend them all together. So it's just that this is me. Mm. Like, I hate to use the word, this is my brand, but that my brand isn't yoga teacher or my brand isn't, again, I hate to use the word brand, but like, if you were to describe your person, that it's just me. And it's all the things. It's it's the struggle. It's the success. It's the voiceover. It's the artistic part. It's the wellness part. It's the mom part. It's they're not different things. So, I don't know. I guess that's just something that I'm 
one of my main things that I'm working towards in 2019 is just to have it all be kind of the same thing where they all speak to each other. They don't have to be different departments. Yeah. I love that. And that makes so much sense because as a yoga teacher, now that you're a mom, that's going to change things a little bit as a yoga teacher, just with the wisdom and knowledge that you have and bring to the table. Exactly. And not to feel like um, people aren't going to respect me if I'm not all one thing. Like mm. I'm not going to be respected in the voiceover industry if they know I also have another career or I'm not going to be respected as a yoga teacher when they know that I'm also this artistic person. Like I just don't care anymore. I mean, I don't think that they would, but nor do I care anymore. <laughs> I just want to become a more fully integrated person. Yeah, I love that. So where can we find you? CarrieSatara.com, <laughs> like previously. Um, teach at New Love City and I teach at Yoga Works currently. Those are my two current places, although um, I have been teaching at Bend and Bloom and Brooklyn Yoga Project and will, again, um, just come, literally just came back from maternity leave like two weeks ago. So still trying to pepper in my teaching schedule. Um, yeah, CarrieSatara.com has my full schedule. Um Sometimes you can catch me on a rerun of Law & Order. That's always fun. When you're sleeping, you're like, oh, I think that's my yoga teacher. That's weird. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Here's my crying baby. Oh, You're tired. Aww. Um, yes, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Oh, look at your dog looking at you. That's so cute. I know. Hi, bud. <laughs> All the babies. My dog, my baby. <laughs> right, well, I will let you go back to them and take care of them and enjoy them. But thank you, Carrie, so much for your time tonight and, uh, and accepting the experience of being on Well and Why with me. Oh, I'm honored that you asked. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great night. Have a good night. See you later. Bye. Bye. Welp, that is a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for listening again. I really, truly appreciate your time and attention. And I hope you were able to take something out of this conversation with Carrie. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, it was such a pleasure speaking with her. And I feel like she was a really great asset to have on this podcast. Um, yeah. So I hope that... Um, hope it brought you something good. <laughs> I really wanted to bring up this topic of conversation that I recently heard on the podcast called That's So Retrograde. It's with these two hilarious chicks, Stephanie and Elizabeth. They're really good friends. It's a wellness podcast. They talk a lot about self-love, self-care, and they talk to a lot of really cool, fascinating people. Um, and I believe I just mentioned they were comedians or I didn't mention that, but they're really funny. So regardless, they're funny. And, but there was something that just happened on one of their episodes that, that Stephanie was talking about. She had mentioned that she really wants to get back into shape and be fit. And one of her listeners, one of their listeners came and wrote, a review or a comment somewhere saying that that was body shaming and kind of turning the page on just like turning her back on them saying you guys talk about how 
body shaming is bad and you should love your bodies and here you are saying you want to get into shape like well, why do, why are you saying that why would you do that so do you guys think that this is this woman's own insecurities saying if you want to get in shape and be fit and I'm not in shape or, or fit maybe I'm not good enough um, because at the end of the day I think it's more about more of a body shaming experience uh, that she even said anything of the sort or felt that way about it because being fit is a positive thing and it's not about looking fit it's about feeling strong and healthy because a lot of the times how we feel in our body is how we feel emotionally and mentally and uh, in many other aspects of our lives. So I know when I'm doing a lot of different kinds of exercises and I'm working out a lot and I'm in really good shape, my life just feels more put together. I feel like I have my shit together. And when I'm a little bit more loose and off the wagon, I don't even know if that's a saying, but I feel a little less put together. I mean, similarly, when my nails are out of control and I really need to file them. Once I cut my nails, I'm like, damn, I'm an adult. I got my shit together. <laughs> but basically, being in shape and being fit has to do with being able to walk up your friend's fifth floor walk up. And the difference between being out of breath or not being out of breath. The difference is also in 20 years from now when you have a family and maybe in X amount of years when your family starts having a family and you become a grandparent, may God bless you with that if that's if you so choose. Um, but I just think, or the universe or any other higher power that you so, so speak of or pray to and with whatever the case may be you get the drift the gist you get the drift you get the gist and so many words but I just think the best thing to do in this conversation of body shaming and is to refrain from talking about your body in front of anybody else or to yourself even for that matter when nobody else is around in a negative view. I know when I'm with someone who starts talking badly about their body, I just want to walk away. I just don't want to be in this con in the conversation with them because that automatically tunes me into my body and makes me think, oh, if, if they don't like their body, then they don't like my body. Or, I mean, and what the fuck do I care? But I just think... Saying anything negatively about your body out loud automatically makes everybody a little bit more self-conscious in that moment. And that's kind of selfish if you think about it. Like, stop talking about your body. Don't do what you got to do. You know what you have to do. I know it's not easy. Trust me, I struggle and I have my struggles for sure. But it's just about feeling good. So just do your damn best to feel good, motivate yourself, do what you have to do, create habits, pick out your, your workout clothes the day before, make sure they're ready for you. That's one less step. 
The Power of Habit. That's a really amazing book. And I highly suggest, if not reading it, listening to it on Audible. That's what I did. And yeah, I just think the conversation of body body shaming is really fascinating and how it's now fingers are being pointed in all different directions where maybe they just don't have to be pointed. Just worry about your damn self. Don't talk down to yourself. Don't do it in front of yourself or anybody else. And just, just love. Just love yourself. Feed yourself love. That means the rainbow. Feeding yourself the rainbow as much as you possibly can. Cooking, knowing what ingredients are in there. If you're going to eat out, do your best. Enjoy yourself. Don't forget to have fun and live because we have one chance on this planet. You're either going to worry every day about that and calories and cellulite, but like the, the more you love yourself and the more you love others and the more you just embody what love means and figure that out for you and yourself and your own definition. But the more confident you are and the more confident you are, the more you're going to attract what you desire. And I'm going to end there. <laughs> um, I love you. I thank you. And namaste. And, and namaste hungry. Ta-ta for now.